Most cameras score this as risky driving. Driver Eye understands the context and reinforces great driving like this. Improve safety and reduce driver turnover. Welcome to the Green Zone. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. We missed a week last week due to circumstances beyond our control, but I can tell you that during these past two weeks, companies kept drilling for oil. Oil was made into diesel that went into trucks, and that's why we call the program Drilling Deep. We also have a guest every week. This week, it's Rachel Moranis. She is the Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer at Transfix, the digital brokerage. They recently put together an advisory council and we wanted to know just what do councils like this do? She will be here to talk about that in a few minutes. Since we last dropped a Drilling Deep podcast, that's the term in podcast world, drop. The price of oil, well, it's a whole new world. The last edition of Drilling Deep before today was July 28th. The price of diesel on the CME that day settled at about $2.95 per gallon. As I record this, it's about 15 cents higher but it's been higher than that. But that doesn't begin to really capture just what has happened in that market. Ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange on the first trading day of July was about $2.35 a gallon. It's now smashed through $3 in just one month. This morning, the International Energy Agency laid it all out in stark terms as to why this is happening. The IEA's monthly report is closely watched as a good repository of data on the world's oil supply-demand balance. I'm going to try very hard not to inundate you with numbers. You should go read the article I posted on FreightWaves.com today if you want those numbers, so we're going to just talk them in generalities. The cuts in crude production by OPEC and OPEC Plus are really taking hold. In the last month, the production of oil from those countries is down more than 900,000 barrels per day. Let me just tell you, that's a lot of oil to lose in one month and there was a significant drop between April and May as well. Demand is at a record level. There had been a feeling that demand might be kept in check because China was slow to come out of the post-COVID lockdowns. There was even a story this week in the Wall Street Journal that the country is experiencing deflation, and yet most of the increase in world demand is coming out of China despite all of those burdens. Refiners are pumping out plenty of product, but inventories are still very tight. We saw that this past week in the Energy Information Administration report on diesel inventories. They're well below where they should be at this time of year. And that's not just diesel. They are down for all sorts of crude and products. There's just not enough stocks worldwide based on the numbers that were in the IEA report. This all adds up to a market balance, or should I say imbalance, that doesn't look like it is going to ease anytime soon. The amount of oil that OPEC is producing and what is needed from OPEC is measured by the IE every month. It's known as the call. And I can tell you that right now, the current output, current OPEC output is way below the call. There was almost nothing in the report that could have been greeted positively by industries that consume diesel. 
The margins on making diesel are really strong again, great for refiners, but those margins eventually make their way down to the pump. Not only is the price of oil rising through the price of crude, but diesel is rising faster than the price of crude. That makes its way down to the pump price, as I mentioned. If there is any good news, it is that the tight supplies in oil are to a degree being caused by human decisions, specifically by the OPEC Plus group deciding to cut back its output, and then the, Saudi, then the Saudis cutting output on top of that. And the fact that the countries making the cuts have been disciplined in keeping them in place. What if they lost that discipline? It also means that if the cuts can be reversed, it can be reversed by the group formally deciding to ease up on the cuts and or that discipline just fades away. So the situation is reversible, but there's no sign of that happening anytime soon. And that is not good news for diesel consumers. We want to thank our sponsor this month, Netrodyne. Ready to step up your fleet safety? Titan Freight reduced distracted driving by 96% while losing zero drivers after implementing Netrodyne Driver Eye, the leading AI fleet camera system. Go to Netrodyne.com to learn more about how Driver Eye can revolutionize your fleet safety too. Okay, time to move on now on Drilling Deep. KYC, know your customer. It is a fairly heavily used phrase and, uh, and, and three-letter phrase. Uh, how do you get to know your customer? It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It is not easy. So something caught my eye recently that digital freight broker Transfix had set up an advisory council to help it, yes, know its customer better. And I wanted to find out if this was just window dressing or whether this was actually going to have significant goals and what would be considered success. So joining us today here on Drilling Deep uh, to discuss that is uh, Rachel Moranis. She is the Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Revenue Officer, Chief Revenue and Marketing Officer at Transfix. And Rachel, we want to thank you for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So talk about the Advisory Council. Talk about the process that led to its creation. It's just been announced. When did you first start discussing this? Did it replace anything else? Or, you know, is this a true Greenfield initiative? Yeah, great question. So um, so just a little bit of background. So um, Transfix has been in this space for about 10 years now. We've been focused on building what we call our intelligent freight platform, which combines our AI-powered freight bridge with software offerings for both shippers and carriers. Our ethos is focused on partnership. And you know what that really means is truly understanding the needs of both sides of you know, the market, the shippers and the carriers. And so you know, when we approach our relationships, we try and go as deep as possible. The Shipper Advisory Council is an extension of that. Um, it is not replacing anything in particular. Um, we've always, you know, tried to have very robust um, conversations and interactions with both our shippers and our carrier partners. Um, but what it is doing is it's providing a new forum, if you will, a new platform for um, people to come together to discuss some of the bigger issues that are facing the sector today. Um, and as we all know, there are some big issues facing us today. And so, you know, this is in, you know, instead of us all operating in silos and trying to figure it out on our own, which, you know, quite frankly, we will not do successfully. This is a chance for us all to come together and really tackle some of the bigger issues. Um, you know, you, you started this segment by talking about what the goals are. I think, um, you know, at the highest level, it's really to truly understand 
what the challenges are um, that our shipper partners are facing today and how they're thinking about navigating those challenges and how we can help them. It's also an opportunity for them to share with each other what they're experiencing and, you know, learn from each other, quite frankly. So, you know, that's really sort of what we're setting out to do. And I think you know, success looks like deepening these relationships, having more um, strategic conversations, and then ultimately maybe, you know, really pushing for some needed change in the industry. How many uh, shippers do you expect to have on this council? Um, you know, we're not limiting it today. Um, we started out with, um, I think we have 10 altogether right now. Um, and, you know, really we're, we're sort of holding it out for shippers with whom we've already established a strong rapport, have a good partnership, kind of an extension of that. Um, but there's today there's no limit to the number if we start to get a lot of interest. Um, and we've actually very interestingly seen people since we sent out that press release come to some of our council members and say, hey, how do I get involved in this? So there's clearly a, a need for it and a desire for you know, broader conversation. Um, but as we see that interest expand, we'll think about how we take this into um, different areas. So maybe, you know, we start to, you know, pair different types of shippers together and have more in-depth, um, smaller group conversations. We'll just see how it goes. But there's no limit right now. Yeah, and of course, sort of the interesting thing about something like this is that the people, the companies that are on it, would not necessarily be competitors. I mean, one company could be making widgets, and another company could be making a different type of widget, and so they don't compete at all. Let's say, uh, so maybe they'd be willing to be open in a discussion like this about their issues. They're really not giving anything away proprietary, I would say. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think you know, it's interesting. I think. A lot of it is their partners, right? So we've got a lot of big retailers on the council. We've got a bunch of CPGs. So there's a, there's partnerships there, right? There's customer relationships between them. And, you know, the way in which we work is just from a data perspective, we're looking at data, you know, a vast amount of data across the industry on, um, you know, on different vendors, on different CPGs and so forth. So we actually have, you know, a very interesting view and bringing them together together gives them an opportunity to talk about what's working and what's not working. Um, even with competitive competitive shippers, they're competing, you know, in products and, and sales and all of that. But they are all dealing with some big issues with supply chain today. And quite frankly, you know, it behooves all of us if we figure this out together. So it's much less of a kind of competitive um, concern in terms of what we're talking about and trying to figure out. Uh, have you started? Have you had like your first meeting, your first gathering? Yeah, so we've had two so far. They've been virtual. Um, ideally, I'd like to bring everyone together in person and we're hoping to do that for the next one. Um, the first two were a couple hours long and you know we, we basically set it up so that we had an opportunity to sort of present some information to them. So we do a lot of um, analysis around six months Outlook, what does the industry look like from a rates perspective? Um, we have some incredibly brilliant quants and data scientists on our team who, you know, crunch this data all day long. They came and presented, you know, what we call our six-month outlook. Um, we asked a lot of questions about, you know, how how this compares to what these shippers are looking at internally. Um, and we had some conversations around different initiatives such as diversity in the supply chain and, you know, the the 
mandates isn't the right word, but the goals that shippers have around um, creating a more diverse supply chain, looking for more diverse suppliers um, in their own supply chain. Um, and so we have a partnership, a great partnership with a company called Fire.io that allows us to understand um, who within our network is actually a diverse carrier. And we can work with our shippers to help them to move more um, freight with those diverse suppliers if that's what part of their initiative is. So are you expecting then to get mostly from this, their observations about working with Transfix or to get their observations about the supply chain in general? Great question. Um, a little of both, although I would say the latter is probably the most important. Um, we have pretty active conversations, you know, when it comes to our KPIs with our customers and how we're doing and all of that. That's kind of part of our normal customer relations, if you will. Um, this is more about the bigger issues. Um, in the supply chain. And, you know, one of the big conversations that we're going to have coming up is our contract rates, our annual contracts still a thing we should be striving for. Given the volatility in the market today, does it make sense to be locking in rates? Do we need to have a winners and losers industry in order to be successful? Should we be thinking about things differently? So those are kind of the bigger topics that we want to um, to address. Other types of topics are fraud in the industry, right? When when rates are as low as they are, we start to see more fraud. How do we combat that as an industry, not just as individuals? It hurts all of us. How do we figure that out together? So these are big, meaty issues. We're not going to solve them in these, you know, quarterly conversations. But it starts to get, you know, the ball rolling and. You know, they're they're Hopefully, we do get momentum from them. You know, and ideally, like I said, there, are, you know, maybe there is a moment where there's enough kind of conversation and momentum behind these big topics that we can bring it to an association and start to say, hey, we've got we've amassed a, you know, a group of people who really want to see change in X Y Z. Well, I guess I could use this opportunity for a plug for Freightways, but of course, you know, we're looking <laughs> at the whole we're looking at the whole contract question, and seriously, it's not just a plug. A contract question that maybe if you substituted a track rate uh, from our our indexes, like that would be the way to go. And coming out of the oil business, in which I can't remember the last time anybody negotiated a, a fixed price deal right. uh, for oil, probably 30 years ago, uh, that's where they've gone. And this is what we're kind of hoping that the trucking industry would go now that that information is available. So right. that is the end of my plug. And now I'll go back to talking about the, the advisory council. Uh, what are some of the other What are some of the other big issues that have come up so far? Um, let's see. So diversity, fraud, we talked about um, annual contract rates, pricing in general, where the market's going, you know, when are we going to see a flip, all those kind of things um, that you guys are also talking about day in and day out. Um, let's see. Um, asset versus non-asset um, partnerships, um, you know, all those kind of things. A lot of it is closed session too. So with some of these shippers, it's it's been interesting to me. Uh, you know what what are the decision making process that results in a company deciding to build its own fleet rather than outsourcing it completely? And then, of course, I always wonder if you build your own fleet, why would you be like why wouldn't you shoot for a hundred percent? You know, maybe you, you figure you shoot for a hundred percent. If you need capacity when things are tight, okay, you can go buy capacity. But your primary goal would be to to run at a hundred percent. 
as opposed to running to zero. I, I don't understand the sort of getting in between, like, you know, why why having 50% has any value. Could you address that? I mean, that, that may not even be something you, you, you've talked about, but I'm just kind of yeah, curious. Yeah, I mean, it, it isn't something we've discussed, and I'm definitely not an expert on that. Um, you know, I say certainly if you're you are building a fleet yourself you want to use as much of that fleet as possible um you know but i i'm definitively not an expert on that let's ask you about you know, the, the people on the on this council on the shippers you know one sure. thing you hear a lot about from people who talk about the supply chain is that their vp supply chain or the head of shipping whatever have become rock stars in all sorts of companies because with the supply chain issues that they had to deal with over the last few years yeah. Suddenly, the CEO said, oh, "You know, this is this is the most important part of our business right now." Are you finding that the people you're dealing with have seen their stature within their companies significantly elevated? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, it's you know the the old saying of "seat at the table," hundred um, percent. You know, I think what used to be what 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 is and you know will continue to be somewhat of a cost center is also now a strategic um, partner to the business and. You know these these people are being asked to think strategically and not just think about you know moving goods from point A to point B. And their stature has definitely um, improved and increased. And I think it's really interesting. And I think it's really interesting for people you know coming out of college and coming out of these programs now. Um, you know these are these are these are big jobs to be had. Um, and you know I, it's very interesting. And I think it's you know, a lot about my, I have a, a son who's going um, into a senior year of high school who's thinking about, you know, what his career should look like. And I keep saying, you know, I don't know, look at some of these schools that have these programs because they're really interesting programs. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, how you build a career in that. It's funny you mentioned that because I was speaking to a woman that I used to work with yesterday, not, didn't work with her freight waves, worked with her somewhere else. And her nephew was moving up from Ecuador to go to a community college program in logistics because oh, wow. he believes it provides a great opportunity for him. And this is in Texas. And I still remember going to some event a few years ago and sitting at a lunch table with like seven or eight uh, me- members of the class, the logistics class from Texas Tech. They all had a you know a polo shirt on with the Texas Tech logistics logo. So yeah, the opportunities are just incredible. Yeah, they're huge. So what do you think you're going to get out of this? At the end of the day, if this is a success, you know, how do you define success? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, you know, we really need to understand the challenges um, on a deeper level that our shippers are facing and figure out how we can help them. Um, you know, we, 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 we have a very specific um, place in the industry, if you will, but we also sit on a ton of data. And, you know, it's, it is, we see it as our job to help um, these leaders make decisions and, you know, do so based on data. So my hope is that we we are able to forge deeper relationships that we do get conversations going that are sort of being, you know, happening in, in silos right now, but that, you know, we advocate for change together. Um, like I said earlier, this just, I just don't see how we sustain a winners and losers um, industry for much longer. We, I think the disruption of the pandemic and, you know, the, the, the high demand and now, you know, the recession, like, we have to come together and figure out a better method. Um, and I hope that this is, you know, some catalyst towards that. Prior to this, how would you have described your communication with your customers? How did you, was it was it an organized way of you getting feedback and getting their input? Or was it just kind of like 
whatever came over the transom through your discussions with them? Um, are you replacing something that was maybe a little ad hoc? So we have um, a regular cadence of conversations with our customers that they are very much about the day-to-day movement of their freight. Are we hitting, you know, our service KPIs? You know, if they have, if their network is changing, stuff like that. So very tactical. Um, we do quarterly and sometimes monthly business reviews with them. Um, we talk about, you know, changes in their business, that kind of stuff. This is less about that and more about the bigger issues that the industry is facing. So um, it's an extension of the partnerships that we've set up with our customers, but it is much more of a, uh, a bigger picture initiative, if you will. And quite frankly, you know, we have one-on-one conversations with our customers. This is about bringing people together to hear each other's perspectives and to see if we can build something different and better. Yeah, you get so tied up in the day-to-day that the idea of discussing what's going to go on in a year from now can be very difficult to do. A hundred percent. And I mean, you know, especially in this industry, right? Like things change on a dime, but um, but that's part of the discussion that has to be had. You know, if it's hard to envision what's going to happen a year from now, then why are we pricing contracts for, you know, rates at a year out? You know, these are the kind of conversations that need to be had. Well, come back in a year on Drilling Deep and you can tell us how it's going, okay? Absolutely. I hope to do so. Thank you so much. Thank you. We want to thank Ra- Rachel Morena. She is the Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer at Transfix. She's been our guest here today on Drilling Deep. Rachel, thanks again. Thank you. Take care. You've been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms, including YouTube. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. We want to thank our sponsor this month, Netrodyne. Ready to step up your fleet safety? Titan Freight reduced distracted driving by 96% while losing zero drivers after implementing Netrodyne Driver Eye, the leading AI fleet camera system. Go to netrodyne.com to learn more about how Driver Eye can revolutionize your fleet safety too.